0: I have a challenge for us. It's the end of our turning point series. We've been going through the series for the last 13 weeks in the book of Acts. As we conclude the series today, I have a challenge I want to lay out for us that is a challenge that that relates to really our perspective on how we live our lives. The challenge is this I want to challenge us to think of our lives as a journey of influence, a journey in which we are focusing on how we can influence others around us for the sake of the gospel. You see, this perspective of life as a journey and what we can do in the midst of the journey in terms of influencing others for the sake of Christ, it's, it's a bit different than what we oftentimes see in terms of the culture's perspective on life. Because our culture oftentimes focuses not on how we can influence others in, during the journey, especially for the sake of Christ, but it focuses on the destination of success, of success in terms of goals or achievements that we want to have, in terms of jobs that we want to have, in terms of social status or political status or certain possessions that we have. So oftentimes in our world, we focus, and even in our own lives, we focus on the destination of some success that we want to achieve, and we lose sight of the journey that God wants to work in us and through us on, especially a journey of influencing others for the sake of the gospel, which has largely been what we've been looking at through the Turning Point series. And there is a significant difference in how you're going to live and operate if you view your life as a destination of success versus a journey of influence. Let me give you uh, just a a story that kind of illustrates the difference between viewing life as a journey versus a destination. Back when I moved to Port Washington almost four years ago, I quickly discovered that bicycling is kind of fun. And before that, I'd never really cycled much, but I needed a way to exercise. We have the great Ozaki Interurban Trail uh, that goes throughout the county and beyond. And so I started bicycling quite a bit. And what I found out was that bicycling is a great um, form of exercise. It's a good stress reliever. It's a great way to enjoy nature. But then when kids came along, the way that I cycled changed a little bit, especially my focus while riding the bicycle. You see, we have a, what we call a burly cart that we pull behind the bicycle with our kids. These are pictures from early on. I think the picture with them both in the cart is the first time they were both in there. So they're a little bit uncertain about it there. But now they always look forward to Monday mornings because we always go out and they get to the ride, ride in the burly cart. But we go out and we ride a bike. And, and I think the, the, one of the clearest ways to, to describe the difference in the way that bike rides go with kids versus without kids is by focusing on what conversations take place in our house with Shelley, my wife, when we return. You see, before I went with kids on this journey, uh, with pulling them on the bike trail, oftentimes one of the first things we talk about when I got home is where I went on my bike journey that day. Uh, I'd say, well, I went up. A couple of miles north of Belgium and turned around, or I went down to Cedarburg, or I went and explored the roads that go by the lake. And we talk about the destination they got to that day. Maybe a little bit about the journey, but a lot of it was destination. But now, when I get home with the kids after riding the bike, rarely do we really talk about where we went in terms of destination. Instead, we talk about what took place along the journey. And if you have ever had kids or been around the kids, you know that, that for kids, life is all about the journey, isn't it? I think, I mean, we talk about, okay, we stopped at the bridge over Highway 43 and we waved all the cars down there and we had seven trucks honk at us that day. I mean, usually if you get more than three, it's a pretty good day of getting honked at, uh, which for us is, is a good thing. We talk about um, how many times we stopped for bathroom breaks along the trail. We talk about um, how Micaiah had to get out and run for 50 yards along the trail while I rode the bike next to him. We talk about, and we may say, okay, we went to Cedarburg today, but we don't talk so much about it as a destination because I used to get to my destination and then just probably wouldn't even get off the bike, just turn around and come right back home. Now we never do that. Now we always have to stop. Um, We kind of explore the streets. We watch forklifts work. We talk to delivery guys. We play on the chairs in front of the chocolate shop. Uh, We watch the skateboarder go down the street. We pretend there's a parade going down the street. We stop at the firehouse there in Cedarburg to look at the fire trucks. Um, There was this constant conversation that's going on through the entire bike trip. I mean, before it would be quite silent. It would just be me and my thoughts and my prayers now there's this constant conversation of questions and comments coming from the burley cart behind me. And most questions and comments have to be repeated several times because, you know, when you're biking, um, it's kind of hard to hear each other. Um, We talk about, when we get home, we talk about having to stop at the park in Grafton and playing for a while. Sometimes we talk about the kids we saw at the park, how there was a daycare that was there. And we talk about the journey. That's very different than only talking about the destination that we got to. Like I said, for kids... Life is very much about the journey. Parenthood, in many ways, is a journey of influence. That, that parents are seeking to influence their kids. They're not just thinking about, okay, what's going to happen in 30 years when they're grown ups. The goal for parenthood, in many ways, is influencing your kids in healthy ways as you go through the journey of life through them. And that's one of the, the things that I seek to do, even through bicycle trips. I mean, I don't, I don't think when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to think, oh, I wish I would have just left the kids at home when I rode my bike because then I could have biked faster and I could have biked farther. No, that's an excellent opportunity to, to share life with them, to, to show my love for them, to, to look for teachable moments with them. And that's the way it is when you look at life as a journey, that you're making the most of every opportunity that comes up rather than only focusing on the destination. When we talk about the journey of influence, we need to recognize that realistically we are all influencers. Every one of us is. You don't have to have the title of a manager or a pastor, or you don't even have to have young children around around to be an influencer. But if you're around other people, through your actions and your words and your attitudes, you are influencing others in in significant ways. And so today I want to talk about what type of influence are we having? And how how can we have an influence that affects people not only in this life, but on into eternity. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Today we're actually looking at a passage that is much longer than that. It's actually eight chapters long from Acts 21 through 28. We are in our 13th week of the Turning Point series, and it's the final week. And typically we take much shorter passages than this. But today, uh, for the purposes of the series, and, and really what we're trying to get out of it I think it's helpful to look at these final eight chapters of Acts as a cohesive whole uh, because it's really one significant storyline through the whole thing of Paul's uh, arrest, his trials, and then his imprisonment in Rome. And uh, I ask you to turn to Acts 26 if you'd like to follow along as we're going to camp out in Acts 26 uh, for at least part of our message this morning. And our turning point that we're looking at today is the journey of influence. How can we live our lives in a way that influences others for the sake of of the gospel, rather than only focusing on the next milestone, or the next big goal that may be weeks, months, or years down the line. And we're going to look at this sermon, or at this message, in a little bit of a different way than usual. So usually three or four times a year, we do a sermon from a first-person perspective, where I take on the role of one of the characters in the story and act as if I am them. And that's what I'm going to do today. It's kind of a fun, different way to look at it, and especially for a passage that's this large. That's the way they really capture the whole scope in a, in a fairly concise way. And so for, th- for a significant part of today's message, I'm going to take on the role of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to exit the sanctuary in a few moments. When I come back in, I'll be Paul. Um, and you will be people uh, who are gathered in my house because... Paul, in, here at the end of Acts, uh, is on house arrest in Rome. But he is allowed to have visitors come into his house. So, so in this scenario this morning, I'm, I'm playing the part of Paul. You all are visitors in Paul's house as Paul's explaining what's taken place in, in the last few years of his life. And then after that, I'll exit, come back in as myself again, and then wrap up the sermon. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll hear from the Apostle Paul. Father, uh, we thank you that we are able to gather together this morning. And we thank you that you call us to be your ambassadors in this world, representing Christ to a world that is in desperate need of life and hope and peace and joy and purpose. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word this morning, as we reflect on the life of the Apostle Paul, that you help us to see how we can live our lives as influencers for the gospel, making the most of every opportunity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And just before I come back in, we're going to see a video that shows a passage out of Acts 26 about one of Paul's significant trials. So then, King
1: Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. (laughs) I am not insane, most excellent, Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long? I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains.
0: Oh, hi. I'm sorry, when I, when I get up in the morning, my body's a little bit creaky sometimes. You know, I can, I can stretch out a little bit, and usually, usually after a little while it gets better. But, man, 9,000 miles of, of walking on the roads of the Roman Empire, if it does a number on your knees. And I don't know if my back's ever really going to be the same again. Because, man, being whipped with 39 lashes, and especially having that done five times, I mean, that, that'll really mess up your back being beat with rods three different times, you don't know that pain, and it doesn't go away after just a few hours or a few days, I mean, it lasts a long time, and there was that one time I was stoned even, Um, they thought they killed me, but actually I was just unconscious, I was able to regain consciousness, and I was all right, but, you know, after all that stuff happens to you, after a while it begins to take its toll, so I just have to stretch out a little bit here. But, you know, it's good of you all to join me. Thanks for coming to visit me here today. Um, you may be wondering how I got in this place because I'm not originally from Rome in the first place. But, but let me explain a little bit of what happened. Um, I always knew my time as a free man was kind of limited. Yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit better here. Uh, I knew my free time as a free man was limited. Um, you know, the Jews really had it out for me. For a while, I was good friends with them. I was one of them. I, I, was, I was really an up-and-comer in the Jewish world and, and even the elders in Judaism really liked me a lot and that's saying a lot for a young guy because you know typically you have to earn favor in their eyes you have to put in the years and the decades of service for them to like you but they really liked me because I mean I gave everything I had I, I had the right teacher I had Gamaliel one of the top rabbis as my teacher I was I was really an up-and-comer but then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And my life was turned upside down. I went from persecuting Christian church to planting churches throughout the Roman Empire. And from that point on, the Jews really had it out for me. I, I knew that my time as a free man was limited. I knew that I, I kept escaping their plots. They always wanted to arrest me or even to kill me. And I, I, I kept escaping, but I knew at some point I had a sense from God that they were going to get me. They, they really didn't worry me all that much. Um, you know, I'm here to fulfill God's will. And I can preach the gospel wherever I am. Even if I'm in prison, there are still people around who I can tell about Jesus. You know, even if I die, even if they kill me, that's all right. Because to me, to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so that fateful day came when my time as a free man was ended. It was in Jerusalem, and ironically that day, I wasn't even trying to preach the gospel at that point. I was simply in the temple to worship God. But a group of Jewish people saw me there, and I guess they they thought this is a great opportunity. So they grabbed a hold of me, they they surrounded me, they started beating me. And then the Roman guards stepped in to break up what was going on there. They saved my life that day, but they threw me in prison. They wanted to know what was going on. They figured I must have done something wrong. And then there came this series of trials. First of all, I stood before the Sanhedrin the Jewish ruling council, and gave an account to them. And then I started speaking in front of various uh, kings and governors and rulers of the Roman leaders. And each time my message was the same. I told them that I am not on my own mission. I'm on a mission from God. That he has called me to proclaim the good news of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And that's all I told them. I just told them over and over about that God has given me this calling, this mission to proclaim Jesus. And now I want to make the most of every opportunity. But the Jews, they were just after me like savage wolves. They did not want me proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. There was this one time when I was still in prison in Jerusalem, that they had this plot. There were about forty of them or so, and they, they came up with this plot and they took an oath with each other where they would not eat or drink until they had me killed. They wanted to assassinate me. And and word of this got to the Roman leaders. And and they had me shipped off to a different prison in Caesarea secretly at night, so that I could be safe. And while I was there in Caesarea, I, I had more trials. At one point, I was before Governor Festus, and he asked me if I would be willing to go back to Jerusalem to face trial there. I said, No way. I'm not going back there. There's no way I'm going to get justice back there in Jerusalem with that large Jewish audience or with the Sanhedrin there. I appeal to Caesar. So Festus said, Okay, you appeal to Caesar. To Caesar, you are going this was my ticket to Rome. And I was actually quite excited about this. I'd been wanting to take the gospel to Rome for a long time. And this was an opportunity to go there. Now, I didn't know what exactly lay ahead of me. But I knew as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep making the most of every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Now, while I was in Caesarea, a couple days after I had that encounter with Festus, and he said, okay, you're going to Caesar now. King Agrippa and his sister Bernice came to Caesarea just to visit for a little while. And, you know, King Agrippa had heard of me before. I never really personally met him, but I had become relatively prominent, um, especially among the leaders, because they were always keeping their eye on, on new movements that were taking place in their part of the empire. And so, so he knew that I was, um, I was planting churches and that, that there were a lot of people, you know, tens of thousands of people coming to Christ in his area of Judea. And so he came, and he was talking with Festus one day, the governor, and, and they were talking about my case. And King Agrippa and Bernice said, you know, we'd really like to hear personally from Paul. And so they summoned me, and I thought, what a great opportunity. I was so excited about this. This is another opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And King Agrippa especially, I thought, was, was especially a uh, ripe fruit of sorts, ready to hear the gospel because he had a strong background in Judaism. He grew up in the area around Judea where, where he, he was very familiar with Jewish ways. He was a quite religious man. In fact, King Agrippa's great-grandfather was Herod the Great, who was, who was the ruler of Judea in the time when Jesus was born. And so I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to reason with King Agrippa from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So I was brought in there, and there was this, this big crowd there. And actually, let me read something. I, I have something with me. I, one of my companions is this guy named Dr. Luke. Uh, he's been following me around on a lot of my missionary journeys. And, and he's been writing down a lot of what has been taking place. And, and he gave me this account. Of, of the conversation that took place between me and King Agrippa uh, there on that day. And, you know, I, I kind of like this because it really gives a good picture of what my heart is and just gives a picture of what oftentimes happens when I have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. It, it's in the midst of this conversation, and I'm, um, I'm telling them about the road to Damascus and how I met Jesus there and how he turned around my life and gave me this call to preach about him. And I said, so then, King Agrippa... I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So, this was really what I was laying out before the king. I was trying to show you know, I'm not some religious innovator, I'm not doing some really radical thing out there. I'm simply responding to a call from God that God called me to tell people about Jesus. And really, this can be backed up from the, from the Jewish scriptures. Moses and the prophets, I mean, they've been foretelling for years that the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come. And now we have him in Jesus Christ. This is what I was trying to tell the King Agrippa that day. I was trying to convince him that Jesus really is the Messiah. Now, Festus, uh, he was the governor there that day. He was the one hosting King Agrippa. He was a little bit worked up. I think he was getting kind of embarrassed uh, just about me talking about Jesus and the resurrection. So he interrupted me and said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. I said, no, I'm not out of my mind. What I'm saying is completely true and reasonable. King Agrippa knows all about these things. And I sense there's an opportunity here uh, to really to put the pressure on King Agrippa and really put him on the spot. You know, I was the one on trial there, but I thought, you know, let's turn the tables a little bit. Let's make the most of this opportunity. Let's see if King Agrippa is ready to turn to Jesus as his Messiah and his Savior and his Lord. So I asked King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. I knew that if King Rippa was honest about this, that he would acknowledge that the, the Jewish prophets were true, and that he would have to recognize that there was a Savior coming, and that Jesus fit the mold of the Savior that we were expecting. I sensed such an opportunity here, and I, I know I, I was kind of stepping out of line a little bit. Typically, you don't talk to a king this way. But I figured, you know, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to make the most of it. Now, King Rippa, he definitely was a little bit uncomfortable with my question of him, he was a little bit embarrassed. Uh, So he basically just dodged the question. He said, Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I said, you know, short time or long, my prayer is that you will become a Christian, that you will become like me, that you will experience the same transformation that I experienced, the joy, the peace, the life, the purpose that Jesus has given me. I don't want you to be in chains. I don't want you to be in prison like I am but I want you to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ as I've experienced it. I mean, that was the end of that conversation. I, I think in the midst of all those people who are gathered there, even if King Agrippa thought that the, that the gospel was a good thing, I think he was too embarrassed, too self-conscious to really respond right then, but I keep praying for him that he will turn to Christ. You know, I really hope that everyone turns to Christ. I mean, the, the gospel is the best news has ever come to this world. Now, a few days after that meeting with King Agrippa and with Festus that day, I was shipped off to Rome. Now, it certainly was an eventful trip. Uh, we, we took a big ship over there. Um, I warned them this is not a good time of year. I'd spent a lot of time out in the water. I warned them this is not a good time of year to be taking this route. They didn't listen to me. We had a shipwreck. But we even had more opportunities to share the gospel then. Had the opportunity to share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ with the other prisoners with our guards who were on the ship with us. We crash landed on the island of Malta. There I had the opportunity to talk about Jesus with the, with the islanders there. I even had the opportunity to minister to the chief official of the entire island of Malta while I was there, tell them about Jesus Christ. So cool to see the opportunities that God was opening as I was on this journey over to Rome. And once I got to Rome, they put me on house arrest. And really, you know, this isn't too bad at all, is it? I get to welcome people like you here to my house. I mean, yeah, I have this guard over here all the time, but he doesn't really care. And actually, it gives me an opportunity to even tell the guards about Jesus. Uh, All the guards throughout uh, Caesar's palace, they all have heard about Jesus because when they are here with me, you know, they don't have anything to do but sit here and listen. So it's such an opportunity. I'm so thankful for all these opportunities. And this is such a change in perspective than I used to have. You know, before I met Jesus, I had these dreams in life, but I I realized I was dreaming about all the wrong things. I wanted to get to the top. I was on pace to be one of the youngest members of Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council that ever lived. I was advancing far beyond the peers of my age um, as I was pursuing God. But then Jesus turned my world upside down, and I realized that my life is not about attaining some sort of religious success and getting the pats on the back from others. My life is about helping people find Jesus. It's about influencing others wherever I go, making the most of every opportunity. It doesn't matter if I'm free, if I'm in prison, wherever I am. My prayer is that I always have the opportunity to point people to the life that's available through Christ. Now, I'm going to have to let you guys go now. I thank you for coming to, to visit with me today. I have an appointment with some Jewish leaders. It's kind of cool. The Jewish leaders here in Rome, they're, they're a lot friendlier than Jewish leaders over in Jerusalem. And they have a sincere interest in learning about Jesus the Messiah, learning about what, what God has been do, doing through my ministry. And so, so I'm going to go get ready to hear from them. And anyway, thank you all for coming um, to visit with me here today.
1: They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes. Hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen. Two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Holy and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. And talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah!
0: (laughs) Now I really love the way that Acts ends. Uh, I want to read the last couple of verses again. It says that for two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. I just think this is great that Paul, until his dying day, was just so passionate about telling people about Jesus and that God opened the opportunity for people to even come visit him in his house. And um, I mean, he was definitely one of those men who lived that journey of influence for the sake of the gospel. Now, this is the end of Acts, but it's not the end of Paul's story from the best that we can tell. Most likely, according to other sources that we have, even other letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament most likely he was released uh, from house arrest at some point after a couple years in Rome. And he he probably journeyed about continuing to minister in the churches, continuing to write letters. And then a few years later, he was imprisoned again in Rome uh, once more. And then somewhere around 68 AD or so, he was beheaded for his faith in Rome. But Paul was a man who definitely lived that journey of influence. And he left an incredibly deep influence that still resonates to our time here today in the 21st century. Now when I started this message, I talked about the idea of the journey of influence, and I compared or contrasted the journey of influence versus the destination of success. And there's definitely a worthwhile reason to set goals in life, to have things that we're working towards, but in the midst of it, we can't lose sight of the journey and the influence that God wants to have through us in the lives of those around us. I want to talk a little bit about and dig in a little bit more to the idea of the destination of success. So oftentimes in our culture, whether it's watching TV, talking with friends, uh, being in a workplace or in school, or just even thinking about things in our own lives, we are influenced with this idea that life is about achieving some sort of success. That if we can buy this car, buy this house, get this particular job, climb that corporate ladder... Get this social status, um, have this type of uh, family or these friendships, then we will be a success. But the reality is that that if we define success in terms of these ways and we are working towards that, if we ever achieve those goals, we will probably find that that sense of success and that sense of, of fulfillment that comes from it is very fleeting and it's very unfulfilling. I think it's very telling to listen to the testimony of people in our culture who have achieved all of their dreams. Uh, If you've been around Freedons for a few years, you may have heard these stories before, but I think it's worth reiterating uh, just to try to help us to understand where we need to put our ultimate sense of purpose and hope. I think of Tom Brady. I mean, the, the quarterback of the New England Patriots will undoubtedly be drafted or inducted into the Hall of Fame when he retires. He's won multiple Super Bowls, multiple MVP awards. Back in 2005, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes. At that point, he had won all three Super Bowls he'd been in. He was really on top of the world in terms of of NFL quarterbacks. In the interview, he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Tom Brady says, me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. Then in the interviewer there on 60 Minutes pushed him a little bit and asked, okay, if winning all these Super Bowls and achieving your dreams isn't all it's cracked up to be, if it isn't really where you're finding, where, where you're going to find ultimate fulfillment, where do you think you might look? Tom Brady said, What's the answer? You know, I wish I knew. I love playing football and I love being a quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. See, Tom Brady was a guy who achieved, I mean, more than most NFL quarterbacks ever achieve. And just simply being a quarterback in the NFL is, most, is, a, is enough of a dream for most people. But he said he, he achieved those goals. He achieved those dreams. He achieved that success. And it still leaves him feeling empty. I think also of a man named Scott Adams. You may not know that name, but he was the creator of the, uh, the comic strip strip Dilbert, uh, which uh, is just a kind of parody and comedy about life in an office. Scott Adams wrote in a blog post a few years ago, he said, I remember when Dilbert hit it big and it became clear that I would never again have to worry about money. It was a wonderful feeling, but it didn't last. I went from happy to hollow with no warning. The first moment that I could afford any car I wanted... I lost interest in having a nice car. I simply couldn't see the point if there ever was one. Success is surprisingly disorienting. One day, about 10 years ago, I was alone in my office sitting on the couch and reflecting on the fact that I had managed to become rich and famous in my dream job. And that's what, you know, that's probably what a lot of us would dream about. We have a dream job that we truly enjoy. We become rich and famous in it. I mean that's the definition of success for many Americans. But he said, for the first time in my life I had no goals. And for a goal-oriented guy, that's an empty feeling. Success was supposed to feel good and stay that way. But it tricked me. There was a huge hole in my soul. I sat in my office and sobbed. Now he wrote a little bit more and concluded the blog post with this. He says, Now I measure my success by how many people would attend my funeral if I died tomorrow. It's the best measurement I can think of. And I think Scott Adams is on to something here. One in terms of how I mean earthly riches and achieving our dreams oftentimes still isn't that fulfilling if our dreams aren't based in Christ Himself. But secondly, he begins to point to this idea of influence, of influencing others so that he'll have a large funeral. But he still doesn't take it far enough. Because even if we influence others, which I said earlier, we all influence others, the question is, how are we influencing others? What are we influencing others for? And ultimately, it's only influencing others for the sake of Christ, helping Christians grow, helping non Christians find that true life through Christ. That is the only thing that can ultimately give us fulfillment and hope and the type of influence that will last beyond this lifetime. Now, like I said, goals aren't bad. I mean, I have goals in my life, but we need to make sure that those do not become the ultimate and that we don't lose sight of the journey for the sake of the final destination. But when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we see that he was a man who lived this journey of influencing, pointing as many people to Christ as he could. And really this is what we are all called to as Christians. Here at Freedoms we have this diagram that we call the Up and Out Triangle. Uh, It talks about the three key relationships that Christ followers should have. I mean the gospel, we're called to be gospel centered, but we're called to have three key relationships your up relationship with God, and your in relationship within the body of Christ with other Christians, and your out relationship with the world around us. And we need to recognize that our relationship with God, being a Christ follower, is not just about me and Jesus. We're also called to invest in our relationships with other Christians, be an influence for Christ there, but also to be an influence for Christ in our relationship with the surrounding world. And this is is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not just us and Jesus, but it's us and Jesus working through us to impact the world with the gospel and impact other Christians to help them to grow as followers of Christ as well. And as we close this message and as we close this series, I want to give us four steps to maximize our spiritual influence. Four steps to maximize our spiritual influence. Since we've been here throughout the series, you'll recognize a lot of these things. have been themes throughout the series, but it's a good way to wrap up. First of all, if we want to maximize our spiritual influence, we need to make sure that we personally are growing as a follower of Christ. It's really tough to pass on what we don't have. And, and the way that we live our life, is a huge part of how we influence others. So we need to make sure that we are growing so that that we are ministering out of the overflow of our love and passion and joy in Christ as we minister to others. We don't have to be perfect, but it is good to be growing. Secondly, it's important that we pray for other people's spiritual growth. Pray for other people's spiritual growth because we can plant seeds, we can water seeds, but God is the one who makes them grow. And so praying for other people's spiritual growth, both for Christians and for non-Christians, is incredibly important if we want to influence others. This last week I heard a very challenging and convicting question. The question was something like this. It said, if God were to answer every single prayer that you prayed in the last week, I mean, we think that would be amazing. If God answered every single prayer we prayed in the last week, would there be any new person coming into the kingdom of God as a result of your prayers. So for the last week, if you've been praying and God answered every one of those prayers, were any of those prayers for anyone to come to know Christ? Or were they all about other things? And that was a very convicting, challenging question because it reminds us, as we're praying for all kinds of other things, make sure that we are praying for people by name to come to know Christ. Also prioritize people of peace. This people of peace is a term that we've been using throughout the series. It represents someone who we know, maybe a Christian, maybe a non-Christian, but who has a spiritual openness and who has a respect for us, who likes genuinely being around us. And they give us an open door for ministry, that they are open to talking about Jesus and perhaps even about committing themselves to following Christ. It's important that as we look at our relationships, it can be easy, easy to be overwhelmed when we think about the scope of, wow, I have all these people around me. How do I really invest in people spiritually when, I have, when I'm pulled in so many directions? But it's important that we really try to prioritize the people of peace. Look for those people whom God is already working in, who are already showing an openness whether it's people we are investing in here in the church, people in our workplace, people in our neighborhood, and really prioritize spending more time with those people and investing more deeply in those relationships because God's already worked there. And finally, intentionally look for opportunities to invest in others. Look for those opportunities because the opportunities are out there. I think about the Apostle Paul he certainly oftentimes in his life was not in the most opportune, easy place to tell people about Jesus. He was in prison prison, he was being beaten, he was worn down, he was frustrated and discouraged at times. But he looked for every opportunity. Even when he was on trial before King Agrippa, he was making the most of every opportunity. Even when he was in prison, he was talking with the guards, making the most of every opportunity. I think this is a good model for us to make the most of every opportunity. And, and we shouldn't, um, we, we should recognize that sometimes even little things, little opportunities that we just take for granted may be great opportunities to, to create a spiritual turning point in someone else's life. And many times, if you look back at your life and look at how people have impacted you, a lot, a lot of times those people probably weren't looking to have a major influence on you, but God worked through them to help you to grow spiritually. This last Friday night, we had our life group over to our house, and afterwards a handful of us were sitting outside around the fire pit till actually about 11, 15 at night. So we officially ended the date, just kind of stuck around for a few extra hours. But it was so encouraging as we were sitting there just to be talking about God's work in our lives. And one of the things that became very evident is that God works through other people. That's one of God's main ways of working in our lives, is working through other people. And God doesn't, And we, we don't always see the influence that we're having, but if we are seeking to be faithful to Christ, if we're seeking to make the most of every opportunity, God's going to do amazing things through us. And again, we may not always see it, um, but, but he will be doing those things. Life is full of turning points, and we never know... If it's just something small that we say, something small that we do to point someone to Christ or to say, hey, come along with me to this event. Come along with me to this meeting. Come along with me to this Bible study. Let's go grab coffee and talk about what's going on in your life, that struggle that you're facing. You never know how God might use you to cause a radical turning point in that person's life spiritually. Is the journey always easy? No. When we focus on the journey and are investing in other people's lives, there are going to be a lot of challenges. I mean, I think back to biking with my kids. It's one of my greatest joys each week to go biking with them. It's not always easy, though. A couple of weeks ago, uh, they were very tired. And towards the end of our bike trip, pretty much from I-43 back to our house here in Port, it was crying and screaming from the burley cart. And I, I tried as much as I could to quiet them down to make them happy, and it wasn't working. So I just biked as fast as I could. And it was a nice morning. And um, as we were pulling back into Port... The bike trail was super busy. And I think a lot of people were out there just to enjoy some nice tranquility and, and just a nice walk. And here we coming, uh, come down the, the trail with screaming and, and crying from the cart. But, you know, that's what happens. When you focus on the journey, it's not always easy. Either you're going to run into people who don't like to hear about Jesus or who have a lot of messiness and challenges in their life. But as we focus on the journey of influence, we also have the opportunity to point people to Christ to be ambassadors for Christ, and and through God's work through us and in their lives, to even change eternity. So I pray that we take these turning points and don't just leave them here as we close up the series, but continue to apply them as we seek to impact others for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so willing to partner with us for the sake of the gospel. We know that you could choose any means you want to pull people um, to yourself. But Lord, we thank you that you choose to work through us. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us the courage and the confidence and the spiritual anointing that we need to influence others for the sake of the gospel. I know that that we all have different personalities. Some of us us are more outgoing, some of us are more reserved. And I know that, that you've gifted us each in unique ways as well. But I pray that we will be true to how you've created us and how you've called us that as we do so, that you will use us, Lord, to build others up spiritually. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.